Man, it's great to see you guys here today. What a fantastic uh, opportunity that we have been given here. You know, it doesn't matter where we meet, uh, no matter if it's a football field, if it's a home, wherever, when we gather together, we are Foothills Church. And so I'm excited to, to be here today with you and very thankful for the athletic director, Scott Cup and, and uh, Coach Philip Shadowins here at William Blount for allowing us to use this space. Can we give them a round of applause? They've been so gracious. Well, if you were able to bring a Bible today or maybe on your phone, you could turn to Ephesians chapter 2. One of the things about this crowd that I know is that there are at least three types of people. The first group of people are people who they, they see that the needle on the empty gas tank is happening. Is my mic going out? Thank you. Of course, it's going to try to go out. Said wants to try to stop everything today. There's the first group of people who wait until your light comes on to gas. You see the needle kind of go down and you go. The second group of people, you're reasonable. You wait until the light comes on and then you get gas. Then there's a third group. The third group waits until the light comes on. And then they wait a day, maybe two days. The anxiety builds. And then they finally go and get gas. Now, let's be honest today. Raise your hand if you're that first group. You don't even wait on you are reasonable people. God bless you. How many of you are, hey, I wait for the light. Don't tell me I wait. It tells me I go, all right? How many of you are in that third group that would just say, that's me, I like to live on the edge, I love the adrenaline, you're going to go one day further? <laughs> I love it. Well, you know what? No matter what group you find yourself in, if you're like me, you never really like to stop and get gas. You never like to really realize, man, I'm empty, I got to get gas. Who likes that? I mean, especially when it's cold, right? I mean, when it's cold, you're... You know, it's, it's filling up. You're standing there like an idiot in the cold. And what do you do? You just have to wait forever. And it, it's just never fun uh, to fill up an empty tank. But, you know, the truth is there are a lot of people here today who are actually living their life on an empty tank. We don't like to admit when we feel empty. We don't like to talk about it. We don't like the feeling of being empty. And so you and I are really good at trying to find things that fill ourselves up quickly so that we actually don't have to feel that emptiness. And when life is empty, I mean, we try all kinds of things to try to fill ourselves up and, and try to actually feel alive. And, and so let me start today just by asking you a question. Maybe we could be honest, uh, at least with yourselves. And you might, you might just ask yourself, what are the things that you're actually trying to make yourself feel alive with? What are those things that you're trying to fill your empty tank with? And, you know, if you think about it, there are all kinds of things that you and I try. We try to fill our life up, that empty tank up with a career. And we work really hard at trying to make money and try to make something out of ourselves. And, you know, we'll do all kinds of things to try to bring that, that feeling of meaning and purpose into our life. 
you might feel alone. And so what do you do? You grab a girlfriend, you grab a boyfriend, you might get married. In marriage, you might still feel empty. And so what do we do? Well, let's have kids. Maybe that'll work. (laughs) Shocker. We try everything. I mean, think about what this world has to offer. Entertainment, sports, drugs, video games, uh, all kinds of things are out there for us to try to fill up the emptiness in our life. But if you're like me, the things that you've tried to fill up that gas tank, so to speak, gets burnt off quickly and you realize you're empty yet again. Let me talk to all the car guys here for just a minute. Now, if your car runs on gasoline, but you decide to fill up your tank with diesel fuel, what's going to happen to your car? Well, it's might run for a few miles, right, until it gets all of the gasoline out of the fuel line, and then all of a sudden, boom, it's dead. Why? Because it wasn't made to run on diesel, it was made to run on gasoline. Now listen, some of you are trying to run your life fueled by something that you weren't meant to live on. You've been filling yourself up with diesel, so to speak, but you don't run on diesel. And so today you feel that emptiness and that weight upon your shoulders. You see, God actually created you to run on something different. Some of you would be honest today and you would say, if I were to actually talk about my life and I was serious, like I wouldn't say this to everybody, but you know, in my life, I I feel like my career is is really empty. I, I feel like my marriage is really empty. I I feel like my spiritual life is empty. Here's the thing. I, I don't want you to live an empty life any longer. Today, we're actually celebrating the empty tomb of Jesus. And, and listen, don't miss this. The empty tomb changes lives. I've seen it. I've experienced it. The empty tomb of Jesus changes empty lives. And you know, when we celebrate today, it's It's the foundational belief of Christianity. I mean, we believe that Jesus rose from the grave. We believe that the tomb is empty and that Jesus is, in fact, alive. Now, that's a pretty big deal. I mean, it's a pretty big deal. I mean, if a guy dies and is buried for three days and and then he comes back to life, then we need to, to really know more about this guy because he's either a liar and he's the biggest phony and deceitful person in the history of the world, or he's actually the savior of the world. He actually did arise from the grave. I mean, when you think about the resurrection, this demands a response from us. I mean, you can't just hear about this and it not change your life. Think about this, if a doctor told you that you had six months to live, would that transform the way you live? Absolutely. You would respond appropriately. Uh, Ladies, if the doctor said that you were pregnant, that is life-changing news, right? You, You don't just go about your business after that. It changes everything. And in the same way, when you realize and you hear the news that there is an empty tomb, that Jesus rose on the third day, it demands a response. The same is true for us today. This empty tomb requires a response. And so today I'm going to actually give you that chance. Everybody here is going to have a chance to respond to this news. You see, when you hear about it, when you understand it, 
when you accept Jesus by faith and receive his forgiveness, he will transform your life. And so at the end of my time here today, I'm going to invite you to commit your life to Jesus. You're going to have a chance to do that. I'm going to give you an opportunity to actually be baptized today. We've got, we've got all the pools over here. They're nice and warm. Been warming up for the last couple of days, right? And you're going to have that chance. And listen, we have everything that you need in order to get baptized today. We've got clothes. We've got towels. We've got all the stuff, places to change. Every single thing that you're going to need is here today. And so I'm going to, at the end of this time, invite you to come forward and actually take that step of faith today. Your family, your friend can come with you to support you. In fact, if you've got a grandma that lives on the other side of the world and she wants to see you get baptized, we are live streaming this all over the world, right? So she's gonna be able to see you. Just tell her to go to our website. If you're watching from online today and by the end of this time, you're like, man, I need to get baptized. We'll wait on you. Come over here today and we will wait on you. There really is no excuse today. And I really believe that there are people listening. There might be hundreds of people here today that have never given their life to Jesus, that have never been baptized. There's probably some people here that maybe were sprinkled as a kid, or maybe they did get baptized as a kid. But when you look back on that event, you didn't really understand what that meant or what you were doing. In fact, let me, let me share something with you. The Greek word, the Bible, the New Testament was written in Greek. And the word for baptize is a Greek word called baptizo. And it literally means to be sunken under the water. So it, it wasn't a churchy word. It wasn't a religious word at that time. It, it was used to, you know, say that, hey, this boat sunk under the water. And, and so the reality is when Jesus comes on the scene and he says, I want you to be baptized, what he is saying is he wants us to symbolize his death and his resurrection. So we go under the water and that symbolizes the death of Jesus. We come up out of the water, it symbolizes his new life. And in the same way, it's a symbol of the old Trent dying as we go under the water. And as we come up out of the water, it's a symbol of the new life that he has given to me. Now listen, baptism doesn't save us. It's actually an outward symbol of an inward commitment, an inward decision that we've made. And so when Jesus is saying, I want you to commit your life to him, that's an inward decision. And then he says, get baptized because that's an outward public demonstration of your faith. And so today you're going to have an opportunity to do that. And there's no better place or time than an Easter service in 2021 on a football field. Amen, church. And I promise you that if you do give your life to Jesus, he will transform your life. Every empty part of your life, he will replace with power and purpose and life. And you might ask, well, how does he do that? Well, that is a great question. And so we're going to turn to our Bibles in Ephesians chapter 2. And we're going to read what the man by the name of Paul actually wrote um, about 20, 30 years after the resurrection of Jesus. And here's what he says in verses 1 through 3. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be on your screen. It says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, 
and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. If you want to jot down some notes today, the first thing that he teaches us is that every single one of us, before faith in Christ, we were dead in sin. Now think about that for a minute. You and I are dead in our sin. When we're dead in our sin, there's an emptiness inside of our life. There's a lack of purpose. There's a lot of confusion about God. When you're dead in sin, he says that we follow the ways of the world. And, and so we do whatever we actually want to do. We, we do what the rest of culture is doing. And we don't really care about what God says about what is right or wrong. He says we are actually following the prince of the power of the air. Now, we really don't like to talk about this guy, but he is a real being. His name is Satan. And the Bible says that he wants to steal, kill, and destroy everything good in your life. The Bible calls him the father of lies. And when he speaks, he speaks his native language, which is deceitfulness, which is lies. And so he's going to lie to you about, you know, who you are. He's going to lie to you about your identity. He's going to lie to you through culture and through people and music and entertainment. And he's going to say, you're not good enough. You're not pretty enough. No one cares about you. He's going to lie and say, God isn't real. He's going he's to lie and he's going to say that Jesus can't really do anything for you anyway. And if you believe his lies, you'll remain dead in your sin. And listen, when you're dead in your sin, Paul says that you're living out of the passions of your flesh, the desires of your body and, and, and your mind. And so whatever your heart wants to do, whatever your body says to do, we do it. Regardless of who it hurts, and ultimately it's hurting us, but we're blinded by that. We don't see that. We don't care about that. And so we'll lie to get ahead. We'll We'll commit sexual sin because it feels good. We'll do whatever it is we want to do because we're living for ourselves. Now, every single one of us is born dead in our sin. And because of that sin, he says that you are by nature a child of wrath. And so that means that you and I deserve God's wrath. Now, your standard of holiness and, and my standard is, is kind of like right here. Like I can be a pretty good person, right? My standard's way down here. God's standard is like, whoa, way, way high. We can't even comprehend his standard of holiness. In fact, he demands perfect holiness and obedience to which you and I just can't do. In fact, in the last 10 minutes, you and I have accumulated so much sin in our life that, that we actually deserve hell and God's wrath for eternity. You say, wait a minute, I've actually not been that bad of a person since I've been here. <laughs> But when you think about it, the standard is have you loved the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, with all your strength? Have you loved your neighbor as yourself completely? And the reality is I haven't. The reality is you haven't either. And so, yes, we deserve God's wrath. We've essentially rebelled against him. We've rebelled against his plan. We've rebelled against what he wants to do in this world and in our life. And so I know you're thinking, I'm a child of wrath. Well, happy Easter to you too, Trent. <laughs> Listen, here's, here's the thing. You and I can't accept the good news of Easter until we accept the bad news of Eden. In the Garden of Eden, everything was perfect for Adam and Eve. They had a perfect relationship with each other. They had everything that they needed. 
They had a relationship with God that was perfect, but they didn't trust God completely. And so when Adam sinned, he uh, allowed sin to enter the world. God cursed the world. And as a result, the world was broken afterwards. Now, every single human being, including me, inherits that sin nature. No one is perfect. We've all heard that. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. Why is that? Well, it's because sin has broken this world and sin breaks everything in this world. Sin breaks relationships. Sin breaks up marriages. Sin breaks up uh, young people's lives. Sin breaks up uh, those who are chasing after uh, wealth and power. And most importantly, it breaks our relationship with God. And as a result, every single one of us have felt the weight of that emptiness. Yeah, I mean, we try to fill ourselves with all kinds of things, right? We try to fill ourselves up to, to, to get out of that pain, to get away from that brokenness. But everything that we try only leads us to more pain. Everything that we try only leads us to more brokenness. I mean, think about your life. Maybe it was sexual sin and you thought that relationship was gonna bring joy and happiness, but, but instead it brought more pain. You thought the job was gonna bring more happiness, but instead it drove you away from your family and, and, and now you don't even know your wife and man, you've got a lot of stuff, but you can't really enjoy it because there's just this emptiness inside of you. And see, the reality is without Jesus, life is empty. There's no way around it. And ultimately one day you're gonna stand before God. You're gonna stand before his judgment and every single one of us deserve the wrath set against sin because of our rebellion. And the only thing that can fix our brokenness, the only thing that can resolve this situation is the God who created us. And so if you look again in Ephesians 2, verse four, whew, this is a good one. Verse four says, but God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You see, the idea here is verse six, when, he, when, when it says that God raised up Jesus, that means that because Jesus's life was raised, you can have a raised life as well. Simply put, if you're taking notes, because the, empty, because the tomb is empty, you can have life. You might say, how? How do you have life? I've been trying to find this, but I, I just can't grasp it. But the truth is God loves you today. He loves you today. And he loves you despite your sinfulness. Verse five says that while you and I were sinners and dead in our sin, before we were even born, Jesus lives a perfect life. He dies the death that you and I deserved. He's taking our place on the cross, which satisfies God's wrath against sin. And through Christ, he offers you forgiveness. He offers you hope. He offers you life and yes, eternal life. And let's keep going in verse seven. He says, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. And so 
He promises us life to the fullest, but the best is yet to come. Like what we get in the future is the immeasurable riches of God's grace, which is lavished upon us with Christ in heaven. And then he says in verse eight, this might be familiar to you. He says, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast, right? So essentially what he's saying here is that you and I cannot work for our salvation. He says it is all because of God's grace. Salvation is a gift. You don't earn it by work. You say, what is grace? Grace essentially means when God does something for you that you don't deserve. When God actually gives you what you need, not what you deserve. And so when we look at our life, we realize that everything that we have is from God's grace. Now, uh, there's a story of a guy who was, he was an umpire for a men's baseball league, and he, uh, he was speeding one day, and a police officer pulled him over. And uh, he did what most of us do in that situation. He tried to get out of it, and he tried to say, well, look, my insurance, you know, and I'm typically a really good driver, and so tried everything. But the police officer said, uh, nope, you know, he was hoping for grace. Police officer said, no, you know, if you want to fight this in court, you can take it to court. And so he got the ticket. Well, the first game of the baseball season rolled around and the umpire was behind home plate and guess who walked up to bat? <laughs> it was that police officer. And immediately they recognized each other. And nervously, the police officer said, hey, so uh, how did that whole ticket thing work out? And the umpire said, you better swing at everything. <laughs> Why is that? I mean, we don't like to show each other grace. I, you didn't let me off the hook. I'm not letting you off the hook. The fact is, God shows you grace every single second of your life. Your life is a flat out gift from God. Your freedom is a result of God's grace. Your mind, your life, your friends are a result of God's grace. Everything that you and I have today is a result of God's grace. And if God, wanted, uh, if God hadn't wanted to create you, you wouldn't even be here, right? No, but he chose to do that. Why? Out of his grace. If he didn't want you to be alive, you wouldn't even be taking your next breath. And the reality is every breath that we take is a gift from God. You didn't earn it, not one single bit of it. It was all because of God's grace. Now, here's the thing. How do you get God's grace? If you can't earn it, if you can't work for it, you can't live a good enough life to deserve it, you certainly can't buy it. There's only one way. You accept God's grace when you admit that you need it. <laughs> you accept God's grace when you admit to him that you need it, so that means you have to swallow your pride. It means that you've got to swallow your ego and realize that I'm not God, I need God. And you accept him by faith and and you say, God, I need your grace. I'm a sinner. I know I'm not perfect. There's no chance I'm going to make it into heaven because I'm not perfect. And so I need your grace. I need your forgiveness. And that's called humility. That's recognizing that you've got an empty tank. That's recognizing that you can't do this on your own. Now, listen, I, I talk to a lot of people. They get frustrated with faith. And they think, man, if, you know, I've tried the whole religion thing. I've tried the whole God thing but it just didn't work for me. Now, here's the whole problem with that statement. See, it's in the word tried. Faith isn't about trying, 
It's about trusting. It's about trusting in Christ. It's not something that you add on to an already busy schedule. I've got to, now I got to go to church and live a good life and I got to do all these things. No, it's not about doing, it's about trusting. And some of you are really at the end of your trying. You're at the end of your trying in your marriage. You're at the end of your trying, you know, with your business. You're at the end of your trying just relationally and most definitely spiritually. You're at the end of your rope. You've tried everything. You're at the end of trying to understand why bad things happen to good people. You just can't grasp it. You're at the end of your trying. And so here's the good news. When you get to the end of your trying, that's exactly where Jesus meets us. That's exactly where Jesus can transform us. He says, trust me, I'll save you. I'll be with you. I'll give you wisdom. I'll give you strength. And here's what I'm saying today. See, the the empty tomb means you don't have to live an empty life anymore. The empty tomb changes those empty lives. And he says, I want to give you life more abundantly. I want to offer you forgiveness. I want to offer you life. And I want you to look at what he's promising in verse 10 here. In verse 10, he says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Listen to this, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You see, you were created to do something good for God. God prepared this work before you were even born. That's called purpose. And when you follow Jesus, you finally begin to understand why you are actually on this earth in the first place. And so, Number four today is because the tomb is empty, you can know your purpose. I think every single one of us asks that question at some point in our life. Why are we here? What am I good at? What am I supposed to be doing? And God wants you to know that he created you for a plan and for a purpose. God wants to use you to do something incredible for him. You can't even imagine what it is. And when you figure out how God gifted you and how God designed you and what God wants to do through you, which is a good work for this world. It is the most thrilling moment and time in your life. You say, man, this is what I was made to do. This is what life to the fullest is really about. When you are living and operating and leaning into the very things that your creator created you to do. It's amazing. In Acts chapter two, one of Jesus's closest disciples, his name is Peter, and he was preaching a, a message and telling people how to, how to receive Jesus by faith. And at the end of the message, they said, how, how must be, we, or how must, what must we do in order to be saved? And he really narrowed it down to two things. He said, repent and be baptized. Now the word repent just simply means we turn from our way of life and we turn to follow Jesus. And so it means that we start following Jesus It doesn't mean that Jesus starts following me. (laughs) Hey, Jesus, I want you to save me. And by the way, come on this weekend. I'm going to go hook up with this girl. It's going to be a good time. (laughs) Jesus, follow me over here. And when I need you, I'll holler at you. (laughs) It doesn't work that way. When we are giving our life to Jesus, true repentance means that we are turning from our life and we are deciding to follow him. And then he says, be baptized. We've talked about that this, this morning, but... When you read the book of Acts, which is the early uh, history of the early church, 
Every single time someone is baptized, it is after they put their faith in Jesus. Now, sometimes people get baptized as a kid or whatever happens, and then you know, maybe they later come to faith. But scriptural baptism is I give my life to Jesus, and, and then I symbolize that life change in the waters of baptisms. Now, imagine, imagine what your life would look like today if you finally gave your life to Christ. Imagine what it would look like if you finally recognized the emptiness that was inside of you. You finally recognized that, that you needed Jesus and you gave your life to him today. Imagine how it would change for you. Now, what's holding you back? There's been some things that have holding you back. Some of you have heard this before. There's some things that are holding you back. Maybe it's other Christians. I hear that often. You know, so-and-so is a hypocrite and other Christians, I don't, you know, you saw how they acted or you saw, you know, kind of how they lived their life. And you said, you know what? I don't want to be on their team. Well, I get that. There are a lot of hypocrites out here in the world. And sadly, I've been one from time to time. But when you stand before God and he is judging you on that final day and he says, you know, hey, what did you do with my son, Jesus? And you say, well, Jesus, I was going to, but so-and-so was a hypocrite. So I decided, you know what, I'm going to I'm going to chart my own course. He's going to say, so-and-so is not here. It's just you and me. And if you reject Jesus today, then you spend an eternity without him after this life. Uh, let's, let me take you back to that car illustration from the beginning here. Remember, that car that runs on gasoline is filled up with um, diesel. You do that, that car breaks down. What do you got to do next? Well, you got to tow that car back into the shop and in order to fix that car, they have to completely drain the gas tank. They got to empty that gas tank, get all the fuel out of there. They might even have to take out some of the fuel injectors and clean that off. Why? Why would he have to do that? Well, it won't run unless it's completely emptied out and cleaned. It's not going to run no matter what you do. And then you fill it up with the right kind of fuel. Now listen, God empties you of sin and he fills you with the right fuel. He's called the Holy Spirit. And for some of you today, that's exactly what needs to happen. Now think about it. What would you call someone who kept putting diesel fuel in a gasoline engine? What would you call them? Well, the first time you might give them some grace and say, man, that's a mistake. Surely it's labeled right there, but okay. But if he did it time and time again, if he did it year after year after year, what would you call that guy? You'd probably call him an Alabama fan. I don't know. Just kidding. No offense, Alabama fans. We love you. But the point is we wouldn't have very kind words for that guy because that wouldn't be very smart. Now, what would you call a man created to do good works for God? But instead, he filled his life with inappropriate sexual behavior that continued to hurt him. He filled his life with busyness and chasing after success, causing pain in his marriage and causing pain in his own personal life and spiritual life. What would you call that guy? You might say, well, he's just stubborn. Yeah. You might say, well, he, he's just a little slow. 
But what would God call him? What we read today is that God would call him dead in his sin, child of wrath, in need of the saving power of Jesus. I wonder today, if you're ready to finally stop wondering if you're saved, stop doubting, if you're finally ready to empty yourself and allow the empty tomb to change your empty life. Some of you here today need to accept God's grace and finally give your life to Jesus. You know, when I was a kid, uh, my dad was a pastor. And so in middle school, I remember a moment where I just really felt this heavy weight upon my heart. It was at night and I was trying to go to sleep, but I was just overwhelmed with conviction. I was afraid of hell. I was, I was afraid of where I was gonna go. And, and this just heavy weight was upon me. And I'll never forget, <clears throat> my, my mom and my dad, they came in my room and they said, dad said, Trent, <laughs> opened up his Bible and he said, you don't have to be afraid. This is the gift that God gives to you. All you have to do is receive it. See, that's where some of you are at. You're running around empty, running around fearful, constantly trying to fill your mind with something so you don't have to think about the true state of your empty tank today. The light's been on for a long time and you've been running. I wonder if you're ready to come home to Jesus today. Let me invite everyone here today just to bow their heads. And if you would, just if nobody for a minute would, would move around so that, so that we're not distracting someone who might be making this life-saving decision. If you wanna give your life to Jesus right now, just simply tell this to God. Just say, God, I confess that I'm a sinner. Tell him, I believe that Jesus is the son of God. He died on the cross for my sins. And he rose on the third day to give me freedom, to give me forgiveness, to give me hope. And I receive that gift right here, right now. And I commit my life to him. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Foothills Church. If you made a decision to follow Christ while listening today, or if you have some more questions about what that looks like, then let us know. You can text FC Decision to 97000, or you can head over to foothillschurch.com slash decision. We hope you have a great week.